Today we are going to be in some different places as we look at what it means to love the Lord with all of our mind. To love the Lord with all of our mind. The last couple of weeks we've been looking at what it means to love the Lord with all of your heart. Last week with all of your soul. Today we're looking at with all of our mind. So as you're finding your place there in Mark chapter 12, as I was studying this week, came across a book called The Mind of Christ. Maybe you've read that book before. It's been around for some time. It was written by a fellow named A.W. Hunt. And uh, in that book that he wrote, he said there are principles that govern the three actions that God has commanded us to take with our mind. Three principles. The first principle is the will principle. The first principle is found in Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on things above not the things that are on earth. Paul is applying this principle. We must set our mind. Many decisions that can be difficult or confusing, confusing, excuse me, in the heat of an emotional or complex situation can be simplified by starting with this command to set our minds on things above. Because as we all know, when we get into emotional situations, we don't really think a lot of times, do we? So if we have the will principle to set our minds on things above, the second is the river principle. The second New Testament command that is used in reference to our minds is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Christian usually lives in a constant state of renewal, or we should be. A good Christian should be living in a constant state of renewal. After we give our will to God, we must continue in this process. The river principle is like that of a river. Jesus said, He who believes in me from the innermost, be, uh, innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So that's out of John seven thirty eight. Our problem is that most of us do not work on the river principle. We live on the pond principle. Okay? The, and ponds, you know what they do? stagnate they stagnate but rivers flow and ponds become puddles and rivers flow into or become oceans that's what rivers do so we are to grow and our growth is to be god-sized the river always goes into something larger and jesus even grew scripture tells us in luke chapter 2 verse 52 that jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and man. It's the river principle that you're growing, you're flowing, you're not being stagnant. And I believe that's a big problem with many believers today. They come to faith and they don't go anywhere from it. They just stagnate. They're like in the pond principle and we need to be in the river principle, constantly growing and flowing. And then lastly, of the three principles that A.W. Hunt wrote about is the readiness principle. Our third command associated with the mind takes us to the climax of the process. Gird up your minds for action is what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.13. In the first century, people wore long flowing robes. Uh, men and women alike, okay? They wore long flowing robes. And today, unless you're just a strange individual as a man, you're not probably wearing a robe out in public. But... Men did back then, everybody did. But they, they wore these long flowing robes. But to run or to move more quickly, 
a person had to turn the robe into a type of pantaloon. They had pulled that thing up, and it almost looked like, for you that are my age, they almost looked like hammer pants. You know what I mean? They're big and blousy around the waist. You know what I'm talking about, MC Hammer. Come on now. I mean, uh, if you don't know, you need to pray just so you can make it today, okay? Um, you'll get that later when you go search him up on the Internet. Uh, the readiness principle. So anyways, that's what they would do. They'd pull up that robe, and they would tuck it into their belt, and it would look like a big pantaloon. For some of you, it's, that's what it looks like. It just blouses over real, real long, so they could run. This illustrates the readiness principle. Our minds are to remain prepared for action. You're ready. And Jesus remained alert or ready as various groups tried to trap him with trick questions all the time. You could go back and look through there, especially like in Luke chapter 20, verses 20 through 40. He was girding his mind up. And what, did he, what was he ready with? He was ready with the Word of God. He was ready. He girded up his loins. He was ready with the Word of God. We know that Christ, when Satan came to him, and he led him out into the desert. He presented him a lot of different things to try him with, to test him with. But Christ refuted all those things with the Word of God. With the Word of God. And you know what we've got today? The Word of God. If you want to combat the devil, you better be writing the Word of God on your heart so you won't sin against him. That's what we have to do. We have, we have become lax in our scripture memorization. I think it's vital for the growth of the individual and faith in Jesus Christ is to know scripture. Don't just know about it. Don't know round about it. You need to know scripture, okay? On Wednesday nights, we're going through the three circles, trying to train you in how to share the gospel, okay? you got to be writing that scripture on your heart so that when that time comes and you get that opportunity to share the gospel, you'll have scripture, on your heart. You need to have scripture and you should have a testimony, obviously, as well. But you got to have those things. Christ had those things. And we've got to be ready. And readiness is being qualified for service. Readiness is being qualified for service. If our will is set and our mind has grown through constant renewal, we will be qualified for any test God allows to come our way. We will be ready. So there's the will principle, there is the uh, river principle, and there's the readiness principle. And we need to have all those ready. Now, I'm not preaching on those three things. I'm preaching out of Scripture today. But I thought that would be beneficial for you to hear this morning as an introduction to the sermon. If you have found your place in God's Word, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, honestly today what I'm going to do is just read Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. 29 through 31, because I've got a lot of scripture to read this morning in context with the rest of our points today. So if you found your place, Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. Jesus answered him. That is a scribe. If you read back just a little bit, you'll find out about that. Jesus answered the scribe. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I know I've already told you to go to Mark chapter 12. Uh, 
But I'd also encourage you to flip on over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And I'm going to be there for just a little while. Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. My first point this morning, when we consider how do we love the Lord with all of our mind? How do we do that? Well, loving the Lord with all your mind is to be thought through. You need to think through loving the Lord with all of your mind. We look there in Luke chapter 14, the three verses of verse 28, 29, and 30. It reads like this. It says, for which of you intending, excuse me, let's back up to verse 25. We'll, We'll back up to verse 25. Now, great multitudes went with him, that being Jesus, because it's a capital H. Now, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28, for which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus is saying, think it through. Think it through. Being a disciple is not just some emotional whim. A disciple is someone who has thought through this has got a cost. It cost Christ his life on the cross. This is going to cost you too. It's not just some whimsical emotion. Now don't get me wrong, emotion is important. Emotion has its place in our faith, but it is not our faith. Many places today, they want to push emotion over reason. They want to push emotion over thoughts. They want to push emotion over everything. I want to push Christ. Think about Christ. Look at his life. Look at what he sacrificed for you to have life. So that doesn't mean that you just get the Every once in a while, get a spiritual whim and think, I need to go to church. You get a spiritual whim and you want to give. Or you get a spiritual whim and you want to go. No, this is an everyday. Pick up your cross and follow me. This is an everyday thing. This is a a life-changing thing. Not just an eternity-changing thing. This is life now Life in the future, life for eternity, changing thing. Loving the Lord with all of your mind is a big deal. It's a big deal. Jesus, I broke this down as I looked at this. Jesus really is hitting us on all levels of our humanity. Every part of it. He starts off. 
He says, if anyone comes to me there in verse 26 of Luke chapter 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We see that there in verse 25 and 26. This is not to say if it may cause division or unity, but that it will cause division or unity. With Christ, there is no neutral ground in family, culture, or job place. It will cause either division or unity. One of the two. Because if you're running with people that are apart from Christ, when you receive Him, it's going to create a great divide. And that person may be family, it may be friends, it may be job place. It's something. It's going to cause some division. Or else, or else, you really ain't been changed. Or it's going to cause unity. You've been the one that's far away from God, and everybody else has been close to Him. So you come to faith. So it brings unity. There's no neutral ground when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to think it through. It's going to change everything. Our families must know that our first relationship is that of Christ. That of Christ. And let me tell you something, that's hard to hear, isn't it? It's hard to hear. Because people say, blood's thicker than water. Well, I want to tell you this, Jesus' blood is purer than our blood. And when he washed you with his blood and he has placed his forgiving atonement upon your account, I want to tell you something, it's even a greater, more bonding blood than that of earthly, fleshly, biological blood. Because it's the sinless, pure lamb of God's blood. Our families must know that our first relationship is that of Christ. One commentator wrote this, the background of Jesus' remark is critical to understand this correctly. The meaning of hate carries a comparative force here. The idea is not that we should hate our family or our lives, but that in comparison to Jesus, if we are forced to choose, the winner in that choice must be Jesus. Must be Jesus. And for them to know that, we are to think through this decision to love the Lord with all of our mind. So much of today is built on emotion. Too much emotion without equal time of reasoning and thought create a shallow commitment, if a commitment at all. Without considering or thinking through this eternal decision, one can easily be misled by their heart. Easily. So you got to think it through. Think through how this will affect your family. Secondly, Think through how it will cost you personally. Look there in verse 27 of Luke 14. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. His cross. You've got a cross to carry. What is that cross? That cross is your past that you've given to the Lord, but it's not so much that. You're going to carry that in your mind because as much as Christ has forgiven your heart and cleansed your heart, it's not in your heart no more, but it's kind of hard to forget that past, right? So you're going to carry that cross, but I want to tell you this, you're carrying a better cross. You're carrying the cross that is your future and your eternity. It's the cross that says, this is Christ's cross that I'm carrying now. I'm carrying the cross that I'm carrying the message of the gospel. You're carrying that cross. You've got to pick up that cross and carry it. And with that cross, there's new challenges. There's new challenges with that cross. 
It's not the same as the cross you was carrying before. You earned that cross, this cross you're carrying, because Christ has given you something new. You got to carry your cross. It's personal. Think about the cross you carry. Think about how you will give over your past and pick up the cross of your future. Think about how that cross will contain those new challenges in light of following Christ. It's a personal. It will cost you personally. There, verse 27. Verses 28 and 30. Think through how you uh, plan to live this your whole life. 28 through 30. How you're going to live it your whole life. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So we're going to think about, think through how you plan to live this your whole life. How you're going to live loving the Lord with all of your mind for your entire life. You ever been by a house that's not completed? And you wonder what could have been, right? My, grand, my, my grandparents, Julie's grandparents, I adopted them. Obviously, they're my grandparents-in-law, but they were my grandparents. Most of my grandparents have passed, I passed away not long after Julie and I got married. But my grandparents who lived in Tuscaloosa, right across the street from their home, was just a basement. I mean, it was just concrete block. Right off the edge, you could tell it was probably going to be a walkout basement or something like that. But there's nothing up above it. There's no home above it. I always was curious, what happened there? You know, I'm not trying to mock them. I'm just curious, what happened there? Did they run out of money? Did something happen in the marriage? What happened there? They didn't think it through. It's the same thing. You emotionally just get stirred up about your faith, but you don't really think it through. You drive by and you wonder, what, what happened there? What happened there in that situation? There's nothing really built. There's nothing really to live in, in that house. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Think it through. It's hard. How many of y'all have ever built a house? You ever built a house? Building a house is hard. Building a house is hard. There's a lot that goes into it. Right? You gotta first off you gotta figure out who's gonna you're gonna contract to do a lot of that work. Then you gotta think the subcontractors, and then you gotta think about the the obviously before you even do that, you're you're picking out a an architectural plan for the home. Then you're walking through it and you're figuring it out with the plumbers and the electricians and, and where you like this plug or where you want this sink or where you want those lights. You know, Single store, one level walk in, easy access house, or two story house, or a walkout base, all kind of things to think through. There's a lot to think through. But you want that house completed, don't you? When you, when you start it, you've committed to it. And you're saying, I, this is what we want. You know, this is my today on the DIY shows and HGTV, they call it your forever home, right? Your forever home. Well, this is your forever home you're building. Or God's building. But are you going to submit to the builder who knows what needs to be built on the foundation that's laid in Jesus Christ? Are you going to submit to him? It ain't just an emotional, for today, for today I'll do that. It's convenient for me. Is it, it man, this is going to cause, this could cause a lot of change in my life. Lots of change in my life. 
When you build a house, you know, it causes a lot of change in your house. I mean, it changes a lot of change. I mean, I've thought about that. Where we've lived, we've lived for 13 years. I've, I've, for a long time, I've wanted to move down a little closer. Consider buying property, building a house, or finding a house, whatever it may be. Well, that's making a big commitment, especially if you're going to build one. You're really saying a lot when you're going to build a house somewhere. Right? I'm saying this is pretty much, if you're building a house, now some people there, man, I don't know how they do it. Some people, they'll go build a house, build it up, sell it, buy, build another house, sell it. I don't know how you do that, man. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. But for most people, when you decide, when you finally decide, I'm buying a piece of land, I'm building a house, you're saying I'm going to be there until the Lord calls me home. <laughs> right? Most of the time. That's usually the thought. That's the same thing with faith. I'm committing my life to Christ. I'm not just on a whim out here making this decision. I'm following Christ. So we've got to understand this foundation that's being laid. You've got to think through. When you think through this whole life, you've got to think about, um, are you going to attend church faithfully? Are you going to lead others well? Are you going to study the Word of God? Are you going to be a worker, not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you going to be proud of the Christ that has redeemed you? Your whole life's going to change. Are you going to be truly different in how you manage your time, your talents, and giving for the Lord? Are you going to be different? You've got to think through this. This faith, so many people have, throughout the ages, have, have thought Christianity to be so, so dumb. I mean, for a lack of better terms. Oh, that's just irresponsible. There's no thinking in that. There's a lot of thinking in it. Because now you're going a totally different, op opposite direction from the rest of the culture in the world. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm not going to go your way. It is. It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of thought. Look at verses 31 through 32. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes with 20, against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. What, what, what king does that? I want you to understand this. I want you to think through how the battles ahead may be won. I want you to think through how the battles ahead may be won. They're going to be won differently than how you thought you won them in the past. It's going to be different. But the first and most important battle is that with the Lord. Is that with the Lord. Will you sit down and negotiate peace with God through Christ? Or will you go through or will you go to battle with Him in your heart, soul, mind, and with all your strength? The first battle that you've got to go to is the battle between you and Christ. You're going to lose. <laughs> but will you lose in surrender or will you lose in humiliation? Scripture tells us don't fear the man who can uh, take your life. Fear the man who can take your life and your soul. That's Christ Jesus. You've got to think through that battle. That battle is the first for Christ to win within the disciple. It's the first battle that Christ wins within you. Then there will be no greater ally in the battle of life than that of Jesus Christ. There's no greater battle. There's no greater, excuse me, ally in the battle in life than Jesus Christ. Sometimes within our lives, we'll have to determine how to fight our battles moving forward. 
Sometimes those victories come through strategic moves toward peace, while others may come through strategic moves in war. He talks about the king who understands, you know what, I ain't got enough to overcome this enemy. I better start thinking about how to, how to figure out how to get some peace or we're going to get wiped out. That's first talking about that relationship with Jesus Christ. But you better be thinking about it. You better be thinking about it. And when we think about this, you know, we must intellectually study Scripture to know how to attack in those moments of war. Because you will have times when Satan comes at you. Scripture calls them the fiery darts of the evil one when they're shot at you. you got to figure out how am I going to uh, battle against this? How am I going to come against this, this attack of, of Satan? And we will have to know that we will face enemies. And just as Christ faced Satan in the wilderness, we too will have these times of battle. We'll have these times of battle. We must intellectually study these scriptures to know how to attack or how to communicate with Christ for peace in him while he fights those battles. we got to know how he could fight those battles for us because we're not going to win. We can't defeat Satan alone. We can't defeat Satan alone. We, we're not greater than our master. We're not. Scripture tells us that. So we must come to understand that we too will face these struggles, these trials and temptations, these battles, just as Christ went through. But we are not left alone. We're not left alone. We have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is our allies in these battles. It's what we have. And Jesus fought the temptations of Satan, quoting Scripture. And the Bible is known as a two-edged sword. It's the only weapon in the arsenal and armory of the, the believer, the Christian, the disciple. So we need to know how to use it. You can't just believe that I'm going to come in here and get filled up on Sunday morning with Sunday school and worship and think that you're going to be able to counter the attacks of Satan during the week if you've not studied the Word of God for yourself during the week. You've got to let this get in you. The Word of God has got to get in you so that when the devil comes at you, you've got something to give out to him. You've got to let the Word of God get in you. Think through how the battles ahead may be won. Think through if you truly are going to be a disciple. Loving the Lord with all of your mind means it's got to be thought through. Secondly, loving the Lord with all your mind means intellectually. It means intellectually. If you flip over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 15, it's way back near the backs of your Bible if you're flipping over there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. <clears throat> this scripture says there in 1 Peter 3, 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Where I want us to really stick right here 
is where it says, and always be ready to give a defense. That word defense in the original language is apologia. And it means to defend what you believe. It doesn't mean to apologize for what you believe. It means to defend what you believe. Apologetics is the study of how to uh, have a defense for what you have. Apologia is that word. And for you to know that, you've got to be in the Word of God. You need to be in a Sunday school class. You need to be in a small group if one is offered. You need to be in the Word of God for yourself at home. Listen, I don't encourage commentary Bibles in the sanctuary. You may say, really? Yes, I don't. Why is that? Because it's distracting while I'm preaching. You're going to get to reading the commentary, and you're going to miss about three points of my sermon. Just kidding. Uh, but you're going to miss the parts of the sermon if you're reading in a commentary during the sermon. But at home, when you're doing your personal study, I would encourage you to have a commentary Bible. Have a commentary Bible. Read one chapter a day. Like, like right now, our scripture reading uh, for the year. We're in Acts right now. You can read that chapter in Acts. You can have it play off your phone audibly. Read it on your phone. Have a physical Bible out there where you're reading and read the commentary. What goes along with it? You're going to grow in your faith. I found this new way of studying the Bible. I'm going to order a couple of these Bibles this week. We've got, we're doing something called Sophomore Night at Bevel State Community College where three of the basketball players are sophomores, which are seniors in a two-year college, if you didn't realize that. But anyway, they call it sophomore night, and they put baskets together for those basketball players. Well, we're going to give them a Bible. We're going to put that in there from the BCM. And so what we're going to do is I found they've got this new cool feature in a New Living Translation. I'm going to give that to them because it's very easy to read, and if it's their first Bible they've ever had, it's a great introduction into reading the Bible. And there's something called the NLT Filament Bible. And what that is, is like you open it up, and if you've got a smartphone, you can scan the page of the Bible. Download the Filament app, and when you scan that page in that Bible, it pulls up thousands of resources on that passage of Scripture in that app. I want to talk about, that's called using technology to the best that you can. So I'm going to order these, these young men one of these Bibles apiece. So that when they, they'll open it up and they, you know, they might not have time to read a whole bunch, but they can scan it and they're going to take their phone with them whether they take a physical Bible with them or not. They scan that and they can read, oh wow, that's saying that and that's saying that. Listen, we've, we've got to be growing in our faith so we can defend what we believe. I can't teach you everything that you need to know to defend your faith from this pulpit in 30 to 45 minutes each Sunday. I can't do that. But I want to tell you this, the Holy Spirit can. When you get in the Word of God every single day of your life and you really want to be a disciple and not just a churchgoer. If you really want to be someone who makes a difference in your community, in your workplace, in your family, you've got to move beyond reading your Bible just in this time of year. You're not going to see much change anywhere you go if this is it. If this is it. And if you ain't got your Bible open right now, man, God bless you. What's up? Bring a Bible. Open it up. I don't care if you got your phone out. As long as you're not scrolling Facebook or, or Instagram, turn off your notifications when you come in here. Open up a Bible and let's get after it. And if you're a mom, you're a dad, 
Grandparent, great-grandparent, you got them with you? Show them how it's done. Flip it open. If they don't know where the book's at, show them there's a thing in the front where they can look at it and say, this is what, where it's at. This is it. We had our kids quote all the, past, all the books of the Bible not too long ago. They know how to find it. Listen, if, if we never show them how, if we never show them, don't expect them to know. Don't expect them to know. That's a little bit off the topic. But you've got to be prepared. You've got to know what you're studying. And you can't expect the next generation to just pick up where you ain't picked up. You wonder why maybe your kids, your grandkids, whatever, did they see you picking up your Bible? Did they see you coming to church? I see many of you in this church. Y'all been here a good while. Praise God. And I know God-fearing people in this church. So I'm not, don't, don't take that to everybody, but I'm just telling you right now where they're at. We've got to be examples. Me pointing the finger right back at me. We've got to be in our Bibles. We can't wait and let Brother Blake do it from the pulpit. Can't let Matt, who's taught him in Sunday school on Wednesday night for years, can't leave it up to Matt. Can't leave it up to Misty or Megan or Julie or anybody else. I know there's a plethora of you out here that have taught children over the years. Can't leave it up to them. Can't leave it up to our Sunday school teachers every Sunday. Can't do that. Starts in the home. Home. And if you ain't doing it at home, this little bit right here, they might think it's entertaining. They might think it's fun. They get to come see friends and all that kind of good stuff. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I want them to go see Jesus one day. Not, not anytime soon. <laughs> but one day, and I want them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to start by the fact that we've modeled that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Not disciples of the culture. Not disciples of the news that's on TV. Not disciples of the University of Alabama Crimson Tide or disciples of the Auburn University Tigers War Eagle. You know, whatever it may be. Are we disciples of Jesus Christ? Whew, all right. Look at that, I still got a whole other point to go. Hmm. Apologia, I already talked about that. That means a reasoned statement for your defense. Don't be surprised when difficult questions come your way either. You claim to know Christ. Don't be surprised when people bring hard questions to you because you know what? They think that you're a disciple. You say, I'm a believer in Jesus. I go to so-and-so church. And then, Pastor, I don't know how to answer this question. Well, have you read your Bible at all this week? Have you studied? The Christian faith, listen, it's not a dull, ignorant faith. We're to be growing in wisdom and knowledge and in favor with both God and man, just as Jesus did. And we're supposed to give this mindful response to anybody who asks. We're to give this mindful response for the hope that is within us. We're to give this mindful response with meekness and fear. And we're to give this uh, mindful response with a good conscience. That's how we talk to people about the faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we talk about what we believe. You don't come off as condescending or a know-it-all. Listen, you talk to me, I hope you come to the realization, I'm not trying to act like a know-it-all, okay? You can probably hear by the language I use in this pulpit that I'm not acting like a know-it-all. I quote a lot of stuff that sounds smart, okay? <laughs> That's what I do. 
You go to seminary, you read a lot of smart people who wrote about the Bible, and then you act like you're smart too because you can pass a test. The thing is, I love the Lord. I love his church. I want to preach his word. I want to see you grow and come to faith in Jesus Christ and be equipped to go out and do the same. That's what, you know, I went to high school and, and took some college classes. You know what I mean? Like most of you have done much of the same. The thing is, is we've got to have a desire to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But you're not going to do it when you're not growing in your faith. And you're not growing intellectually. Yeah, you need to have heart. You need to have a passion for it. You need, you need to have that. Your soul, you need, to be, you need to be loving it with all your soul. But you've got to love it with all your mind, too. We just can't be like, yeah, I believe it. I believe Jesus said it, so there it is. Well, that's good. Yeah, true. But that ain't enough. Especially in our culture like today. Where they want to somehow say that science explains everything, but yet they don't want to accept the science. <laughs> Anyway, not going to stay there too long. All our smart people are not as smart as they used to be. Anyway, point number three. Love the Lord with all our mind is Christ-like. I'm going to fly through this pretty quick. I know I'm a little bit past. Romans 12, 16, and 17. If you'll flip back just a little bit in your Bibles, if you've got those open, or if you just want to touch a couple of buttons there on your phone. Romans 12, 16, and 17. Romans 12, 16, and 17. The scripture says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I know I read a couple extra verses there. The 16 and 17, be of the same mind toward one another. If you look back up, it's telling you about how to act in love. And, he's, and what really Paul is talking about, and he's modeling, he's telling us, is that Christ did all these things. Christ did all these things. So loving the Lord with all your mind is Christ-like. It is Christ-like to love the Lord with all your mind. We cannot properly love or know love apart from knowing and experiencing the love of Christ. 1 John 4, 7 tells us, um, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Just as Christ had the same mind as his Father, so we too should have the same mind within the church. We should have that same mind. The ultimate goal is salvation of all, for all, and for all to be properly equipped in the Word and the Gospel. And just as Christ set his mind on things above, we too should set our mind on things above. You know, Jesus, the, the, the Lord's prayer, the model prayer says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The goal is to set our mind on, on the things above. We, we look beyond the earthly to the heavenly in terms of value, whether that be of a person or how an item might be used for the edification of the church or the benefit of others. We look beyond this earth. We look beyond that to the heavenly. We look above. So we live that life. Just as Christ set his mind to associate and not overlook the humble, we too should have that same mind and do the same. We are never to think ourselves so highly that we disregard the lowly and humble. We too should be humble as those who have been regarded by Christ. We've been regarded by him, thought about by him. We were on his mind. 
So we should be, as humble and lowly people, we should look that same way toward others, especially those that are without Christ. We regard them just as Christ regarded us. Just as Christ had every reason to highlight his wisdom but did not, we too should not be self-promoters. We shouldn't be self-promoters. As we gain knowledge and understanding through the counsel and insight of the Holy Spirit, we, we are not to lord that over anyone, nor look down our noses on those who are still on the milk of the Word. That shouldn't be us. I mean, if anything, we should love even more sweetly, gently, with those that have just come to faith. Not think, how dare you not know that? You know, you, sh you should know that. Well... They just came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a good question. It's a challenging question, but so many times what happens is that new person who's new in the faith, they're asking challenging questions, some questions thinking, you should already know that. It's kind of like sometimes as, as I've, I've led music before, uh, and, and I've said, oh, you should all know this one. You know, I've said that before. Not everybody's been in church their whole life. And I've said that, and I thought, man, you know what? What if we have a guest here today, and they've, they've never heard this song before? I've got to be cautious about that. Like, new believer, you should know this. You know the story of Zacchaeus. You know the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. There's plenty of kids who've never darkened the door of a church before. Never heard those stories. So don't, let's, let's be mindful. Be cautious. And say, let me tell you about a story. Some of you, it may be familiar, but in case it isn't, you know? We've got to be, be mindful of that. Set our minds on those things. Not be, not be uh, high thinking in, in that sense, you know. Be thoughtful toward those that are new in their faith. And just as Christ set his mind on going to the cross without repaying their evil to them, we too should set our minds to let vengeance be the Lord's. We are to let Christ and our Heavenly Father deal with those who have treated us unjustly. It is not our place to repay evil. Leave that up to the Lord. He's the one who can handle that. And he'll handle that in the most appropriate way ever. Because if we try to do that, uh, a lot of times we just mess things up. We make it worse on ourselves. Instead of really making the situation better, we make it worse on ourselves. And just as Christ set his mind to regard all good things in the sight of all men, we too should set our minds to do the same. We too should desire to highlight the good in our churches, families, and communities as much as it honors God. We should come alongside great and godly people, organizations, and missions for the purpose and goal of making much of Christ. Listen. I've talked to you a lot today about loving the Lord with all your mind. And you may say, I might need to think on this passage a little bit more. I might need to think on this scripture a little bit more. This, this idea of loving the Lord with all of my mind. Gosh, I've never thought about it that way before. I've just always thought that if they sang the right song at the invitation, that means I need to come forward. Just as I am, I surrender all. Which is one of the biggest hypocrisy, hypocritical songs we've ever sung in our lives is, is Baptist, right? Because even when we surrender our lives to Christ, we're still hanging on to a lot of stuff, it seems like, right? That song should be rewritten for the Baptist hymnal, I surrender some. Or I surrender most. I surrender most, but Lord, there's just some things I just really want to hold on to. I want to hold on to this and hold on to that. But you better have that mind of Christ. 
If you, if you will think with the mind of Christ and you give your life to Christ and love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will be able to give over all of yourself to him. I pray that's you today. I pray that you will give your whole life over to Christ. Donald and Lydia's going to come and lead us in our time of decision. Maybe you've never made the decision to surrender your life to Christ. Maybe you've surrendered some or most, but you've not surrendered all. And I think we all can stand here today and say, I really struggle with that. Honestly, me too. But today you can begin by first giving your life to Christ and you, he will help you surrender it all. He will help you surrender it all. You ain't got to do it. You just got to give him your life and he'll gradually remove those things, those sinful things that you desired and you pursued and you wanted over Christ. He'll, he'll do that work in you. It's called sanctification. But right now he just wants you to surrender. And eventually, hopefully, prayerfully, it will be your all.